Of course, Lou and I have been saying goodbye to lots of people these last few weeks with lots of time for reflection amidst decluttering the house and packing boxes. And I was talking to a friend and colleague who'd been a preacher and pastor for a while. As we talked, we were pondering, I guess, on whether preaching and teaching were actually worth it, as you look back, in a world where, for example, psychology and counselling seem to offer so much more immediate payoff. Plus, so many other churches are just so entertaining for people, so many social programs, such great music. Uh, does preaching the word actually cut it anymore? I mean, maybe you turn up Sunday by Sunday, and you have been for years, uh, you turn up with a messed up life and you feel you walk out just as messed up as when you came in week after week, year after year. Now, that's a pretty discouraging thought. And when you take the short view as a preacher, it's easy to wonder what change there is is so often slow it's almost invisible and problems these days seem just so big and so complex. And yet this week, as Lou and I wind up 22 years of ministry with you, I want to say one of the real delights of the past few weeks has been hearing from so many of you who have said that hearing the gospel preached has actually brought huge change in your life in very real ways, a total change of perspective for some has helped you persevere, perhaps, in very real ways, has held out hope when there's been no hope. But most importantly, has turned you towards Jesus. Now, as we move, I want to leave you with a reminder of that as we look at Paul's words of farewell to the Ephesian elders and see what his focus was and what his priority was as something of a gold standard to work from. It's a gold standard that as a pastor I'd have to say I've always had in mind but of course failed in lots of ways to attain as in our humanity we always do. Which doesn't change the fact that the principles Paul spells out as he recaps his ministry are crystal clear. Paul's ministry with them in Ephesus was always about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus which is the one thing you'll notice he says he never hesitated to do. Now look, before we dig into it, you'll notice this is a heartwarming tale with a lot of resonances. I feel them anyway. It's a goodbye story. Bruce Pass, who likes big words, tells me it's technically called a peroration, which just means a final word. Lots of famous ones in the Bible. And, and it's got tears, you'll notice, which in itself is almost enough to get me a little bit misty. Uh, but let's think about it anyway. Paul is on his way into trouble in Jerusalem. And he knows it. And so as he's passing by the southern Turkish coastline, he gets a message to the elders in Ephesus and he calls them to come down and meet him at the beach as he's coming through. And as I said, as you... You run your eye through the passage, there's lots of mentions of tears. It's an emotional time. By the end, they're all in tears, the Ephesian elders, as they pray and they hug him and they kiss him goodbye. Uh, can I just say to the elders today, tears if you like, but please no kisses. <laughs> <clears throat> but look, I haven't chosen this passage so much, of because, so much because of 
how they're feeling in the high emotion or, or to make the suggestion that seeing Lou and I off to Melbourne is in any way comparable with Paul's last big journey to Jerusalem. I've chosen the passage more because of the razor-sharp focus it gives on what's been important to Paul and remains important in any gospel ministry. And I've also chosen this passage because it's traditionally the passage I preach on whenever I leave a church, uh, just as I did in McLean 22 years ago. It's only something I've ever done once before, but there you go. Uh, Paul says there are three things that the Ephesian elders know about his ministry. Did you notice? They're in verses 18 and 20 and 24 and 34, sorry. And they're things that are worth knowing and noticing for us. Three things they know. We're going to quickly unpack around that framework. Three things that the Ephesian elders know about Paul's ministry that shouldn't be rocket science. And we do well to keep them in mind. It was the Greek philosopher Aristotle who said that to communicate you need ethos to match your logos. And then throw in some pathos as well. Ethos to match your logos. That you actually need to live out an ethic that matches the logic of your message. Which Paul certainly understood and certainly did. And so here's number one. They know that because they've seen him living it out for three years among them. Most especially, he says, they've known his humility and they've known his, his, I guess, his financial integrity, that he hasn't been preaching the gospel for gain. Verse 18, here's what he says. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. It was a tough time for Paul. We've seen it in almost all of his letters. Paul's Paul's opponents, the Jews, were constantly out to nail him over the issue of Jewish law. And yet in the midst of that, he just kept going, humbly serving. For Paul, ministry was always about giving and never about taking. In fact, you'll see down further in in the second thing, he came to them as a self-supported apostle, content. So here's the second thing they know. Number two, he says, you elders know that I wasn't on the take from you. You know how I worked. Now look at his words from verse 33 onwards. Uh, Because this is astonishing when you read Paul's background. He says, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know. So here's another thing they know. That these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I didn't covet your cars or your superannuation or your fashionable suits. He says, you yourselves know these hands of mine, covered with the blisters of a tent maker, supplied everything I needed and my companions besides. Because I wanted to model hard work for you and the way we need to help the weak. I wanted to model giving to you rather than getting. Because Jesus said that. And Jesus, of course, did that in spades. Now, Paul wasn't against being financially supported. 
But what he loved to do was preach the gospel without charge. Uh, often supported by churches that he'd established before to go and do it again. They were Christian, they were supporting the next league. Or he'd support himself. Most often the primary contributor was him. You know, of all the things said about President Trump, and I don't want to get political today, and I don't know if this is true, but don't you find the suggestion disturbing that in the last few weeks he may have been taking money for presidential pardons. See, grace is free. Paul's ethos, the way he lived, his integrity and hard work, his humility, his perseverance under trial, all those things matched up with his message. So they know how he lived, they know how he worked. Here is a third thing that they know for sure, and it's in verse 20, back in the middle of the passage. And that is, and this is the big one this morning, he says, you know how I preached. You know, says Paul, that I preached without hesitation every chance I got, publicly and house to house. Every possible opportunity, he preached in synagogues, he'd preach in the lecture halls, he'd run growth groups in houses. But beyond that, they know about the content of his preaching as well. And he says, I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. In other words, he's saying, I told you everything you needed to know which he then defines and summarises really helpfully in verse 21, spells out in a summary, no matter who you were, here is what I didn't hesitate to tell you. Here, here is what they needed to know. Here is the most helpful thing you could ever hear. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, verse 21, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Lou and I were chatting recently to a, a young psychology graduate about to start work as a high school psychologist. Tough job. Uh, she's not a Christian. She's working with kids who have got all sorts of anxiety problems. She said there's, there's COVID, there's the climate crisis, there's anxiety everywhere. Uh, Lou said to her, yeah, we've noticed through COVID a lot of people on TV saying they've lost hope. She said, do you reckon... Hope is a problem for high schoolers as well. She said, oh, yeah, it's a huge problem. Lou said to us, so what are you offering as a school psychologist? Where do you point them for hope? And she stopped for a second and she said, oh, good question. Haven't really thought about that. Friends, let me tell you, if Paul was here this morning... He would be saying exactly the same to us Australians as he was saying to the Jews and to the Greeks in Ephesus that you must turn to God in repentance, turn from your old life and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That your confidence, that your trust, that your reliance has got to all be with him and not in your own failed efforts to keep laws or be nicer or to speak in a more pious tone or to be more spiritual. Turn to God in repentance 
And when you've done that, just keep trusting King Jesus. And that is where our hope is. Because that's what Paul calls further down the message of the kingdom. The kingdom of King Jesus. That's the message he calls in verse 24 the good news of God's grace. That's the gospel he's been preaching, that God is so generous that all he asks for is is repentance, a turning around and our reliance on Jesus because he is the one who takes the load. He is the one, verse 26 to 28, who takes on our blood guilt at the expense of his own blood on the cross. That's why Paul's not guilty of their blood any longer. He's preached that to them. And of course, which makes us his church, the church of God in these astonishing words in verse 28, which God bought with his very own blood. God blood. You see, that is the grace Paul kept preaching. That is the church that he's commending to the care of these elders from Ephesus as they gather around to say goodbye. Keep watch, Paul says to them in verse 28. These are good words for any elder of any church in any age. This is the church God has bought with his own blood. An astonishing statement. And the Holy Spirit wants you elders and you incoming new elders to look after it, to oversee it. They know Paul's own example of integrity and service. They know the gospel of grace Paul's been preaching as his only ambition. And it's that same word of God's grace in verse 32, that same gospel that he now charges them to hold on to as he goes. Because he says it's that word of God's grace in Christ Jesus that builds up in a way that nothing else can. That assures us that we're right with God. Again, not because of a spiritual experience we might have had or or a feeling we might have or a set of rules we might try to keep, sometimes fail at and feel bad. But that when we turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus, it is all done. And it's that, says Paul in verse 32. It is that word of his grace that can build us up and give us an inheritance among God's saints. So three things that the Ephesian elders knew. They knew how he lived. They knew how he worked. They knew how he preached and what he preached relentlessly. Repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. And that, in a sense, is a sum up of Paul's ministry. He knows that he's heading for hard times. He knows they won't meet again. He knows those elders will face all kinds of challenges up ahead too. So they're the things he wants them to keep in mind. So now it's time for Paul to go. He's finished speaking. He kneels down with all of them and they pray and they're hugging him and tears are streaming down their faces and they all weep and embrace him and kiss him. What grieves them most is the statement they'll never see his face again, verse 38. Which is sad for sure. Well, it is worth a a thought that the tears Paul has been shedding over those past years have been for bigger reasons. His tears and fears for the church that he loves so much. They take Paul to the dock, he gets on the ship, off he goes to Jerusalem. 
and the trials that await him. So, on that note, as we wave goodbye to Paul, I want to draw things to a close with a few reflections and a goodbye from me. Now, friends, first of all, how I wish these last 22 years I'd been able to be more like the Apostle Paul with Paul's integrity and willingness to sacrifice absolutely everything for the gospel. But I hope there might have been at least some glimpses of that because it's certainly been my ambition, our ambition. And because I haven't got the apostolic gifts Paul had, I don't know if hardship and prison await in Melbourne, but I hope not. (laughs) I'd much prefer just good coffee. (laughs) And I'm actually hoping that one way or another we do see one another's faces again, quite often. Certainly with all those differences, in the end I do hope you can look back at what I've preached here what Lou and I have taught here and see a thread that I have been doing my best to do what Paul did and that is constantly preaching the good news of God's grace. That whoever you are, the only way to be in the right with God and to keep on being that way is to turn to him in repentance and simply have faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith that's not just a feeling but a robust life-shaping, decision-shaping reliance. Now, if you're one of those people who's heard me saying that sort of stuff over and over again for the last 22 years and you haven't done anything about it, how about today? I reckon that'd be a great way to finish. How about today? But look, think back, everyone, wherever we've been in the Bible over the years, we've covered lots of ground, Old Testament and New. We've been looking to understand how the scriptures make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus before we look for anything else. And so I've tried to model that over and over and over again, week by week. I hope you've noticed and I hope it's been helpful. Because, you know, in terms of that chat with my colleague the other night as we pondered whether anything else can have the same effect as preaching of the gospel, I'm absolutely convinced that the answer is no. As I finish, let me just say, Lou and I have loved it here at MPC. We have loved your partnership. We have loved through the years developing and working through programs like Unawkwarding Jesus that had so many of us, Sam Channing, our neighbourhoods. If you're new and don't know what that means, ask someone who's been around for a while. But building natural, unawkward gospel relationships with people. We've loved things like the Food for Thought dinners and the great speakers we've had and the women's events and the men's events where, where Jesus was proclaimed and modelled in a way that wasn't corny. Rick Fairhurst said to me a few years ago after a Board of Elders meeting, he said, I love coming to church on Sundays. I said, Rick, Lou and I do too. We've loved it most of all when for some of you the pennies dropped and it's dawned on you what this gospel thing is actually all about. And we have been reminded of that as we've caught up with so many of you over these last few weeks and and that's been just a delight. We have loved caring for you through life's ups and downs 
And so many of you have been through so many big downs and just kept persevering in faith, which again is such an encouragement. More than that, those of you who have cared for us in our own hard times as well, we are so thankful for that. So thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your friendship. Especially to those who have loved our family along the way, our kids. Uh, That's counted for more than you can imagine. We are immensely sad to go, but it's time to go. I guess again, like Paul and the Ephesian elders, that for our elders, for all of us, for all of you, the main concern shouldn't be over the parting as it is for protecting God's church that was bought with his blood, keeping our eyes fixed on making sure that the gospel of God's grace in Christ Jesus stays right at the centre where it belongs.